The Ready, Set, Grow podcast is sponsored by Ag Expert, software designed for Canadian agriculture. Visit them today at agexpert.ca. Welcome to the RH Accelerator Ready, Set, Grow podcast, where we interview some wonderful uh, innovators and leaders in the agriculture and food space. Uh, we'd like to thank Ag Expert for from uh, FCC for uh, for uh, hosting this as well. Uh, my name is Joe Dales with uh, RH Accelerator. Today we have Diana Laternus with us from uh, Regina as our guest host. And we're really excited. Uh, our guest is from Basel, Switzerland, Rob Neal. So, um, Rob, uh, for people that don't know you, can you kind of give us the Rob story uh, from uh, Canadian farm boy to multinational crop protection executive in uh, Basel, Switzerland. Okay, Joe, that's a a long story at this point in time, so I'll try to keep it really short. But uh, yes, I grew up in a farm in in Eastern Canada, uh, just outside of Ottawa. My father actually moved us there at uh, the age of 14 uh, from the city of Ottawa. You can imagine what a teenage boy thought about moving from the big city to a farm. You know, I thought it was kind of the end of life, so to speak. But to my great surprise, I uh, ended up loving it, and I developed a real passion for agriculture. And consequently, I went to the University of Guelph to study uh, ag, ag and uh, got my first job in um, 1982 in Alberta. I was working for a company called Velsicol. And if you're uh, old enough to remember that name, you're, you're dating yourself uh, pretty well. But most people would still recognize the product that uh, Velsicol made, which was dicamba, was a very important product then and a very important, uh, remains a very important product today. And to, to kind of speed it up, uh, uh, after many mergers, uh, Velsicol became Sandoz, Sandoz became Novartis, Novartis became Syngenta. I ended up as the global head of marketing for Syngenta based in Basel, Switzerland, which is why I'm here today, uh, why I live here today. Uh, During that uh, career, which was almost 40 years with Syngenta, I did uh, two times uh, in positions in the United States, twice in Switzerland, also in Brazil. I was the head of marketing there and uh, also in the UK. I was the head of marketing there. And I loved all of those assignments, all of those places. It uh, It was a great opportunity. I don't know how it went by so fast. In fact, but in in 2019, I hit uh, 60 years old and uh, I decided to do something different. Syngenta was and is a great company and had a great job. You know, as a global head of marketing, you can go anywhere and do practically anything. Um, But I had been doing it for 11 years and I realized uh, that was what I was going to do uh, for the next several years. And I wanted to do something different. So I stepped out of Syngenta and decided to work at the opposite end of the spectrum from one of the world's largest agribusiness firms to working with startups. So today I'm a board member or advisor to uh, several small startups, always in ag, that's my passion. Um, And mostly those companies are in uh, digital ag tech or in biologicals, which are two areas that I'm quite interested in at the moment. Rob, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, Gamaya and some of the other ag tech companies uh, and the projects that you're working on? 
Sure. Gamaya is a, a Swiss company. It's based in uh, Morges, so the French-speaking part of the country. Very talented, though, international team. And their business is remote sensing. So we work with uh, drones and satellites to provide imaging uh, to farms. It was founded six, seven years ago uh, by people that wanted to bring hyperspectral imaging to agriculture. And hyperspectral is a very advanced form of digital imaging. And today, Gamaya is uh, focused in Brazil, in sugarcane and soybeans, and also a little bit uh, in India in sugarcane as well. Um, Besides them, though, I'm also working with uh, uh, another digital company in Canada called Yuko. I think you've had uh, Keaton and Avi on this program before. But uh, a young, very ambitious company based out of Toronto. What they do is disease and insect prediction. They're a, a great team with a super analytics platform and very compelling grower value propositions. I think they'll do very well. And I kind of like to say that both these companies are sort of in the same business because the business I call it is the problem identification business. In Gamaya's case, they detect existing problems in the field using imaging data. And in Yuko's case, they predict problems in the field using weather and, uh, and other field data. Both help the farmer make better management decisions, identifying problems that need to be addressed. Then uh, another company that I'm working with, very exciting, uh, I call it a disruptor, is M2I uh, from France. And they're in the pheromone business. And you know why is that disruptive? Because pheromones have been around actually in the business longer than I have. But what they've done, uh, they and a couple of other companies, has helped reinvent that whole space by bringing a lot of new technology and formulation and delivery technology to the, to, the, to, the, to the business. And that's enabled pheromones to really play in the mainstream and it gives them great potential for growth in the future. And uh, they're going to be a very successful business. And then a fourth company is Enco uh, out of Boston or out of uh, Eastern United States. And uh, they're not digital nor uh, biological, but they're synthetic chemistry company, but doing discovery work with a very different approach, uh, adopting uh, techniques from the pharmaceutical business that will enable them to design and develop new um, synthetic chemicals that will be able to meet the very demanding standards uh, of the regulatory and uh, uh, farmer uh, of today. I'd like to dive into you know some of the differences you see you've gone from one of the great multinational companies of the world to uh now a very you know series of small uh startups what uh you know operationally and culturally and and just uh you know from your perspective you know what are some of the differences and challenges uh being small versus large well actually that's a that's a great great question uh I, you know you always hear that the grass is greener on the other side and and when i left syngenta i was leaving a great big company with a uh, very established uh, structure and system and processes. And you probably would think, well, the bureaucracy will be a lot different, a lot less on the other side. In fact, uh, they do have less bureaucracy, but they've got a lot, of, a lot of other issues as well. So the grass isn't greener on the other side. It's just different. I would say one of the big differences uh, between these, these very large and very small companies is in the processes. Uh, one has processes that are 
probably not very efficient and need to be improved in order to make the organization more agile and, and, and more effective. And the other doesn't have any processes at all and needs to develop some of them to make themselves more agile and more efficient. So you can figure out which is which. But um, you know, beyond that, they actually face very similar problems, how to reach the customer, how to create differentiation, how to get themselves known, uh, how to build trusted relationships with partners. So in many ways, it's not that different, actually. It's just the size. So. That, that's good information, Rob, because, you know, you think that they would be different just based on size, but that's good to hear. Um, do you have any ideas and agri tips that you would give to early stage companies uh, that would be developing in these spaces or even marketing tips that you would sure. give them? Sure. Well, uh, uh, there's a couple things that I could point to um, thinking about startups and small companies. First of all, in terms of marketing, this is something I see is commonly uh, not done very well. Make sure you understand the value that's being created by your technology for the customer. And uh, you really need to calculate that down, calculate it down to the last penny for every segment that you're going to be operating in. And not only that, document every assumption that that calculation is dependent on, because you're going to need that later on. Those assumptions are going to change. Your business case is going to change. And you really need to understand um, what's going to happen with your business. And also, when you come time to explain your offer to the farmer, you're going to have to be able to explain the, to them in terms of how much value will it make for the farmer. And you'd be surprised how a lot of people don't do this. I think it's because... Uh, you know, it's largely a technology business. So the first first thought is let's let's work with the technology. Let's try to make it work. Let's do some trials. Let's test it. Let's refine it. Let's do it again. And sometimes, you know, you can make the mistake that two or three years go by before you've really ever thought about the, the commercial impact that we'll have on the on the customer. And um, if you haven't, you know, you could be in for a bit of a surprise if you can't explain to the to the customer what the value that your product is doing for them or creating for them, you know, you shouldn't be surprised that they just try to uh, bargain you down to the very bottom price because from their perspective, they want to make it as risk-free as possible. So that's really important. The, you know, and in fact, I tell that, I used to tell that in, the, in Syngenta as well. It's extremely important to get the value uh, creation understood. Uh, second point I would say is um, it relates to partnering. And uh, when you think of startups and small companies in agriculture today, the, you know, there's a lot of commonalities or differences in their technology, but one common issue is that they all struggle to get to market. Uh, they don't have the scale and don't have the, the critical mass. So they all look to partners, or many of them anyway, are looking to partners uh, like big companies like Syngenta to, uh, to, to, as an efficient way to get to market. And um, some advice on partnering. One is, First of all, make sure you know who the stakeholders are in that partnering company and know all of them, not just the one that you're negotiating with or the project manager that you're going to be dealing with, uh, not just the headquarters people, but really get to understand or know who the stakeholders are across all the functions and particularly in the countries that you're going to be operating in. And I think that people mistakenly or often mistakenly assume that because the person they're making a deal with or doing a project with is very receptive to them, that that person will 
do all the legwork of making sure that everybody else in their organization is on board and really bought in and, and is really behind it. But it doesn't work that way. Uh, it may work that way in Walmart. If you get in the store and put your stuff on the shelf, it'll just fly off. But it doesn't work that way in ag. You've got to work all levels of the, uh, of the system to create awareness for your product and create pull for your technology. And that's a very demanding job for a small company to do. It's often um, very daunting to, to think about uh, how to manage all these different stakeholders. But it's real important that you do that. You need to get some dedicated uh, project person or account manager in place, somebody who focuses entirely on that partnership. And the team that is working behind them in your company needs to be as dedicated as you can make them as well. They should not be um, split over all aspects of the business because those partners, when they expect, when you make actions and agreements for those partners, they expect them to get done. And uh, failure to delivery is often a, a problem with small startup companies. So really, uh, you know, think through that partnering uh, capability building uh, deeply before you get going with that. Those are great tips. Um, and you, yeah, and, the larger the company, the more complex it becomes too, because, you know, the person you're dealing with may not have uh, responsibility and even, even uh, country markets. Right. So, you know, Definitely. knowing lots of people and, and doing the work um, and not being, you know, kind of dependent on uh, them, you know, creating your demand. So exactly. Um, a common tips. problem I see in, uh, in, in particularly in biologicals is, uh, you know, biologicals are not as forgiving as synthetic chemistry. Right. In other words, synthetic chemistry is a lot easier to sell. Yeah. And generally it can be fairly high margin and so very profitable. So if you're a sales rep in the middle of Brazil or in Argentina or in wherever, you know, what are you going to spend your time on? The product that's easy to sell and makes the company a lot of money or the one that is very difficult to sell and, you know, puts, you have to put a lot of effort in. Uh, of course, uh, it's going to be on the easier to sell one. So the, the biological companies that are successful today are the ones who are working very closely with the people in the field to, to get them to realize that it's, it is possible to work with this product and that there are a lot of other great reasons for this to be a part of their portfolio and part of their offer to their customers. So you need to do that sort of missionary work. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you've always uh, watched the marketplace uh, closely in agriculture and you mentioned digital, you've mentioned biologicals a little bit. Uh, are there any other kind of trends, uh, uh, things that you're watching or keeping an eye on that would be relevant to farmers or agribusinesses uh, um, that you think will, will impact on agriculture in the next few years? Sure. There's two or three things that uh, are very exciting to me. And uh, you know, number one is what everybody's talking about, which is carbon crap capture. Uh, this is currently the hot topic. It's being discussed across the spectrum and in all forms of technology in all parts of the world. Uh, it seems uh, interesting that uh, suddenly everybody's company is part of the carbon capture uh, uh, solution. And, uh, you know, of course, a lot of that is, is hype, uh, but there is some really serious work going on. And I expect that we'll see some um, real and very tangible things uh, in that space in the very near future. So that's, that's quite exciting. Everybody's got to watch that space very closely. Secondly, that and quite related to that, uh, something that I'm personally really excited about is 
the, uh, the whole movement around regenerative agriculture. And I'm excited about this, not because, you know, it contains a lot of new ideas. In fact, um, most of the ideas are uh, well-established since a long time. Things like crop rotation, cover crops, uh, compost management, integrated animal and crop production, uh, things like that have been around for a long time. But what's exciting is that um, it's, a, it's a robust concept, really, that everybody can get behind. And, you know, I think we've had too many polarizing opinions in agriculture about what's what's right and what's wrong. Uh, for example, organic agriculture has been perceived as the only sustainable method of farming for some time, and that's really not quite true. And, and the so-called conventional agriculture has been perceived as, as, a, as an unsustainable uh, type of farming, uh, which is also really not quite true. Um, but in fact, um, these, 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 these uh, differences of view pit people against each other and really quite needlessly because they both have the same objective in mind, which is how to make agriculture more and more sustainable. So the, I think the ideas behind regenerative agriculture get us all past those kind of um, biases and, and, and misperceptions. And I'm really optimistic that uh, the concepts of regenerative agriculture will play a bigger and bigger part of the discussion and enable us to move forward together in a very effective way. The third thing I, I watch, but I'm not really an expert in this at all, uh, so don't take anything here too seriously, but is gene editing. It's not my field. I come from a, more the, the, the chemical side of the business, not the seed side of the business. But I'm really excited to read how transformative that will be to agriculture in the future. And uh, I hope at least half of what I read is actually true in the future because it will have a big impact. So those are three things that kind of keep me uh, tuned in. Thanks for that, Rob. It, it's so good to hear about, you know, the carbon, they're taking care of the environment, regenerative agriculture, um, you know, working for a big chemical company and, and looking at regenerative ag, you know, can you give us some of the lens of what they're going through right now in terms of this whole change in conventional agriculture and how that's going to impact them? Well, uh, you know, they're not really just watching it. They're um, participating quite uh, strongly in it. Uh, and a lot of the leadership uh, comes from them. Uh, and for some very good reasons. First of all, they need to transform their businesses. So they need to uh, invent or be a part of new things. So this whole new world of digital and biological is not foreign to them. They're embracing it um, themselves. They are very active in pouring a lot of money into research, into carbon sequestration methods. They're supporting a lot of startups. They, most of those large companies have venture funds, and uh, they're invested across the patch in, in, in regenerative agriculture and carbon capture and digital and, and various other new technologies. So it's very much on their mind. They are... You know, you could think of them as, on one hand, as pesticide companies, like, for example, the crop protection business of Syngenta that I used to work for. But that's not the way they think about themselves. They think about themselves as technology companies that are in the business to bring technology solutions to farmers. And whatever that may be is where they need to be. And I think that uh, they're uh, quite a force for good in, in this space. That's terrific. Um, we've all stop traveling uh these days or we're sure not traveling very much uh, except for on zoom um 
you know, what's the outlook for agriculture in Europe from your perspective, uh, uh, you know, getting through, through, um, you know, the, this last, you know, crazy year, uh, year plus. Well, I don't think that uh, COVID has had uh, much of a different impact in Europe than elsewhere. It's had a great impact, of course. Uh, farming and agribusiness agri- has done well in, in 2020 in general. So uh, you can almost say that COVID hasn't been uh, a huge factor, although, of course, it, it's, had as if, it's had its effect. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you think about Europe in particular, the, the big topic these days is the, is the farm-to-fork strategy that the EU put out um, in uh, late 2019, early 2020. And this has some very specific and very dramatic goals, uh, such as a 50% reduction in the use of uh, synthetic pesticides, such as a 20% reduction in the use of uh, fertilizers. Uh, 25% of land, of farmland, has to be converted to uh, organic farming. You know, these are very profound, very um, impactful goals. And I think the jury is still out on how these will be actually implemented or executed, but they nevertheless are having a huge uh, impact on uh, not only the discussions, but the the strategies and the investments of companies operating in Europe. Uh, Personally, I think, uh, or I hope that they fine tune that a little bit more to think more about regenerative agriculture, because it's not entirely in line with those principles, although it, it does, of course, have many of them in there, but um, that's the big thing in, in European agriculture today. Thanks, Rob. Uh, there's probably a lot of early stage companies and you know different people watching that are just getting started in the ag tech business. Do you have any uh, tips that you can give for them in terms of what to look for or what to do to get started? Anything from your um, experience or perspective that you can share? Sure, uh, a couple of points that have always helped me in my career. Um, and this first one is made a little bit difficult in times of COVID where, where contact and ability to travel is restricted. But I think it's real critical that when you can get out there, that you get out there and you, you meet customers and you spend time with them. You try to learn from them how, how your technology affects their operation, farmers, I'm thinking, um, what their pain points are, how they try to address that. Um, you know, so this is this is critical. A lot of people in, in agribusiness today don't get many opportunities to to visit customers and to really see what's actually happening. But uh, I guarantee, if you make time to do that, that this will pay you back over and over again in the course of your career. Simply because other people will not be doing it, and you will be gaining a lot of knowledge, a lot of advantage um, over the course of time. You know, so when you travel, when you do get to travel again, if you're going to a meeting in another city in another part of the country or to another country, don't just go to the meeting, go to the hotel and then fly home. Try to figure out a way to get an extra day in the field and spend some time with, with customers. It will, it will be really rewarding to you, not just uh, you know, financially rewarding in terms of your career, but personally rewarding for you to see how your technology is working. And secondly, I think coupled with that is try to develop your your observation skills and learn to think laterally. Uh, You know, what you see is not what it really is, and it will not be that way in the future either. And here I can give you a nice example of of my own learning from early in my career. In the the early 90s, I traveled to Poland with a colleague from Basel, 
And uh, this was just after the fall of communism. And you can imagine that uh, things were not as well developed in the eastern part of Europe as they were in the West or in North America. So we pulled into this uh, retailer to visit him. And uh, we were sitting in the, uh, the reception area while he was uh, finishing another meeting with some, some other people. And I was looking around this retailer and it was really quite dingy and you know, dumpy and there wasn't uh, anything nice about this place. And in my mind, I was thinking, you know, boy, this guy's not going to go very far. I've seen some pretty nice retailers in, in other parts of the world that could teach this guy a lot. My colleague, though, who, uh, who, who thinks uh, a lot differently, he was also sitting in that same room looking around and having a totally different <laughs> conclusion. He picked up a couple of magazines off of the table and he said, look at this, Rob. Look at this catalogs these guys are looking at buying fax machines and machinery and computers and printers they have ambition they're going to grow put two and two together and he was right so you got to look for the non-obvious signs of what's happening and to be able to really appreciate what's going to happen and that was a that was a great lesson which i've tried to um to follow for the rest of my career to think laterally and so those two things i think are really uh, have helped me a lot in my career among other things, but we don't have forever to talk about that. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to have you back another uh, another day to keep learning. And thanks for sharing. I, I, I enjoy uh, enjoy uh, those tips. And yeah, I love I love getting out, seeing farmers around the world. They they all do things differently because they have their own environment and their own situation. But it always comes down to, you know, getting a crop in protecting it letting it grow and then getting it harvested and then hopefully making money in the marketing side so it's uh, it's amazing to me large small it doesn't matter the crops there's a lot of similarities uh any any other final thoughts or uh things you want to share with our audience before we uh, we end this uh, this episode sure I, I would say you know if you're somebody who's just entering agriculture today whether it's on the farm or in a startup or in an established company uh, be very excited because the journey is just beginning and it's going to be great what happens in agriculture over the next uh, coming decades so you have picked a really good uh, industry to work in yeah great great advice and I always figure people will want to keep eating for the next few years. So uh, there's good job security there uh, for our space. Um, if people want to connect with you, uh, are you on LinkedIn or uh, any of the social media? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, you'll find me on LinkedIn. And uh, I'm certainly willing to uh, connect with you if you have questions about these kind of things. Uh, just drop me a, a message and we'll, we'll probably pick it up on um, WhatsApp or, or email. Uh, offline from from LinkedIn, but uh, certainly willing to to engage with anybody that one would like to know more. Great. Well, thanks for joining us, Rob, and uh, you know, good luck with all your new projects, and uh, we know you're going to be successful uh, successful there. Thanks, Diana, for joining us as well, and uh, we appreciate all the uh, feedback and the uh, uh, support we're getting from our audience, uh, sending and retweeting and and pushing out these. Uh, these uh, videos. If you have any questions, give us a give us a call. You can find these podcasts on rhaccelerator.com under the uh, Ready Set Grow podcast link, or on your favorite podcasting uh, platform as well. So until next time, thanks for joining us.